0: Hey, Hector, did I really tell you about the good time I ever had in New Orleans? No. That's right, I didn't, because I've never had a good time in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. a few weeks ago, I went there, and uh, let me tell you a story. First, let's kind of have some highs and lows, but first I feel like a man, and then I feel like such a wimp, it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. So then uh, I'm at a bar, it's 2 o'clock in the morning on Bourbon Street, and all, the only thing that's left are hookers and girls... Drunks and girls you don't want to look at And both, like hookers So you're like, man, you're really a hooker? Ew <laughs> So, uh, I'm, I'm hanging out with a local Cajun redneck And he's all non-stop, all night long All he's saying is Man, these girls here, man They just want some black meat And I'm like, dude Those girls don't want black meat They want green And he's all like And like, you know, when people are drunk They get very repetitive Thank you they get very repetitive and, you know, his brain is all oh, he could think the whole night. Just black meat, black meat, black meat. The bar closes down. We get kicked out. Now we're in the street. And there's hookers literally waiting for us outside the street. They're looking for, you know, the guys who weren't able to get any and are <laughs> desperate and drunk. So he goes up to them and says, like, watch me. Watch me hit on these girls and watch them want some black meat. They cross the street. They're like, how much? How much you got? He's like, I don't got no money. They kick him out. He comes back and he's all like, see, I told you, black meat. I'm like, dude, are you, st-? So then... Out of another bar comes a guy. He kind of looks like the internet sensation Tyrone, but with hair. <laughs> like I'm Tyrone, and Tyrone hears him say black meat, and he's like confused, like what you say? And 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 you know the Cajuns are like these girls here, man, a ding bone they want some black meat. And Tyrone gets uh, he gets offended, and I don't know if it's rightfully so or but he gets offended, and he's all like, don't say that. That's stupid. That's ignorant. Don't say that. See, and he's literally in the Cajun's face. And the Cajun goes, black meat. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm gonna call the guy Tyrone. So he takes off his shirt, throws it on the floor, and punches my Cajun boy twice in the face. But the, but you know, usually you know when there's a fight, I usually let the first few punches fly by because if you don't let anyone make contact, you're gonna spend a whole night breaking up a fight. So let you know, let you know, word of advice, let them fight for a little bit and then break it up. So, on the third punch, I want to go block it. And I missed, and I, I blocked it with my face. But I reached down on the floor, I grabbed Tyrone's shirt. He went to punch again. This time I blocked it, and I put the shirt right in his chest. I'm like, "You won. It's fucking over. You fucking won. It's over." And I kind of scared him, and he like ran away. I'm like, "Holy shit! I just scared the scared away this big black guy. I still got it." So now I'm and the first time you'd have to get naked to do it. That's right. Well, normally they they enjoy it. They like they like whatever color meat I am. <laughs> so. <laughs> right, right. So then uh, now I'm walking down the street with, with my chest puffed out because I'm like, yeah, man, I still got it. I'm a tough guy. Next thing up, a short, chunky black cooker comes, walks towards me. And she's like, hey, man, you want some Coke? And I'm like all polite, like, no, thank you. So she grabs me by my balls and, and squeezes and slams me against the wall. It's like, do you want some Coke? And like I said, I'm drunk as fuck now. So I'm now just like the way the, way the guy kept saying black meat, mm-hmm. I, my brain was stuck on no thank you. So it's like, you want some Coke? Slam. I'm like, no, thank you. She starts pummeling me in my rib cage. <laughs> like, do you want some Coke? I, like, for every punch, I kept saying, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. And then that's when the cage... I just, was... I
1: just want to cut you off there for a quick set. So just the image of you of you just saying, no, thank you, no, thank you, over, L and she's saying, do you want Coke and Coke, as she's pummeling you, that's kind of like some sort of weird avant garde like like, uh performance piece done in like the Met <laughs>
0: you know? yeah we need to record this and put it on the YouTube yeah, like make, uh, it a, make it a short film
1: yeah I'm down for that anyway go
0: on and then uh yeah and then the Cajun, the Cajun who I just rescued he chases her off <laughs> and you know eventually he gave me a ride home well not a ride home but a ride to the hotel but I, we were drunk and lost and he left me like four miles away and I had to walk four miles to my hotel room in the middle of fucking New Orleans and that was my New Orleans story Hector wow And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the This Is Happening podcast. We are filming live from Des Moines, Iowa. Actually, that's where we shot last week. Fuck it. Des Moines, Iowa, at the This Is Happening studio. My name is Diego Santos, and as always, I'm with my boy, Hector. Introduce yourself. I am Stargazer. And today's podcast, we are discussing our love of non-vegetarian. Because I fucking love...
1: Meat, beef, pork, chicken. If it was alive at some point, I love it. No disrespect to the vegetarians out there,
0: but I fucking love meat. Actually, Metal King, I have a question to ask you. Go ahead. Uh, Recently, King Diamond performed at a concert without his makeup on, and people were crying. Like, they were really visually upset. Yeah. If you saw King Diamond live without his makeup, but the, the music and the act was almost the exact same thing, what would your reaction be? And
1: since I was a kid, uh, he was one of the first acts uh, I ever saw on television, some of the first songs I ever learned on drums and vocals, and I think that considering what black metal is, he is a pioneer, and he's the one that's responsible for a lot of things that are going on right now. Um, he... And when you reach that status, guess what? You can do whatever the fuck you want to do. Okay? Because he is King fucking Diamond. He's not asking Alexandra or any of those other weak-ass bands that are out there right now. He's a legend. He's been around since the 70s. He's paid his dues. He's the, He's been with Merciful Fate. He, he had his own uh, 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 career. And he's still doing it. Over seventy, with
0: really
1: yeah, he's over seventy, and he's had a uh, a coronary bypass surgery. So if you have a problem with him not having um, makeup on, fuck you, buddy. Because quite frankly, you're you're in love with an image and not the musician. Oh wow, that's
0: deep, brother. And and he has one of the best Christmas albums ever. Absolutely,
1: man. I every Christmas I listen to to that, and uh, all of his albums are deep, really well put together. He is, tr- at this age, I saw him last year at the uh, Best Buy Theater. Big shout-out to the Best Buy Theater in Manhattan. Um, and I was there, and uh, at this age, he did have his makeup, and but it wasn't about that. It just was an amazing stage show, you know? He got, like, people, like, his grand... He got, like, this old lady dressed as grandma. He killed her and put her on... He buried her on stage, and the stage looked like a satanic... Uh, cemetery. I mean, it was great. It was great. You know, like gimmicks don't uh, can make a, a concert better. You know, because that's how they did it back in the day. But you're there for the for 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 the music. You're there for the person, not for w- the gimmicks. You know, like when you buy a CD, you can't hear gimmicks. Well, you
0: can't see gimmicks.
1: You can see gimmicks, but you can't hear gimmicks.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You know. I mean I understand there's some groups out there like Guar. If you see Guar live you have an expectation. Um But well,
0: King Diamond's not
1: on that level. No, he's no he's 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 a he's a on a galaxy all his own that are old that pay homage to him. Metallica wouldn't be Metallica were it not for Merciful Fate. Cradle of Filth, uh Demon Board Gear, these are bands that owe everything to King Diamond. You know? Um It's And plus, let's face it, him being the age that he has and still playing the game, when you're a certain age, I say you can do whatever the fuck you want. I always say, listen, if you see a 90-year-old man picking up your 40-inch screen LCD TV and running to the end of the block with it, let him keep it. (laughs) Because you know what? He earned it. He carried that motherfucker all the way and didn't die. So let him have it. So, on all these merits, on his status, on the fact that he's inspired so many people, on the fact that he's still in the game longer than most of it, only him, and, like, it's just him, those Rolling Stones, um, and freaking, uh, who's it? Uh, Hello? Alice Cooper. These are the only people that are still doing the rock thing so long even though they could have easily quit a long time ago and just lived on the residuals. But they love it. They keep doing it. King Diamond didn't have to re- get out of retirement. He didn't have to, like, go back. He had his money, but he did it because he loves the fans. And if the fans are going to start picking at him, you know what? Fuck them because they're being unappreciative, and that's my part.
0: All right. Uh, staying in the metal theme, Yeah. have you ever seen Wasp Live, Jackie?
1: I I love Wasp so deeply Fucking much! I love Jackie Lawless. Blackie. I love Blackie Lawless. Uh, he's actually one of my favorite frontmen of all time, just for his vocals and the person who he is. Um, he's actually when I sing, he's actually a really been inspiration to my vocal style. Um, Wild Child, one of the greatest songs ever written, in my opinion. And I know I've never seen him live, but if I had the chance, a heartbeat,
0: yeah, I saw him live at a at a wrestling convention. <laughs> Uh, around 1997, right, it was literally the most random thing ever. But yeah, he was there. And me and my me and my boy Big Bill, we saw Jack uh, Blackie lost. I keep saying Jackie, but it's uh, easy to make that mistake. Yeah, it really is. That's there is hey, he,
1: a lot of uh, that are really into wrestling. Um, Zach Wilde is actually really good friends with uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. You, it is said that back in the day, more often than not, uh, you will see S- Steve Austin. And freaking... Um, Zach Wild. Zach Wild walking down the halls just because. Because they're buddies. They're friends. They yeah. hang out all the time. And uh, who else? Uh, Billy Corden of Smashing Pumpkins is actually a really big wrestling fan. Well, I
0: mean, he had his own company uh, years ago. Yeah. And now he's working for a, a TNA Impact on Destination America. Yeah. I don't know what difference he's made to it. I mean, the product's been good lately, in my, my opinion. Like, TNA gets... A, TNA gets a bad rap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't want to turn this into a wrestling podcast because, to be honest, I think we have too many fucking wrestling podcasts. Yeah. But, uh...
1: I, 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 by the way, I want to move for a heavy metal podcast someday. I would really enjoy that because there's only one other, and I can't say the name, but, like, there's only one, there's hardly enough of those, and I think we need more. Just saying. So
0: when it's time to branch out, Hector's going to start... He's going to add to our to our network a heavy metal podcast. Definitely. So if you liked what the first ten minutes of our podcast was, that's what we we uh, look forward to for the heavy metal one. Where exactly. We have more uh, knowledgeable people on heavy metal because, yeah. to be honest, uh, my uh, my taste in music is so vast. Eclectic. It's hard. It's so eclectic. It's hard to grasp. Like you know, it's like too many fingers in the pie or whatever you call it. <laughs> so I can't like like get a full grasp of everything. No,
1: I, I'm the same way. I love all kinds of music. There's very little. Uh, I, I dabble in every kind of genre, but heavy metal is such a big part of my life. I actually started listening to heavy metal when I was seven years old. First song I ever learned by heart was "Enter Sandman" by Metallica. And I've had, and uh, I've had like a really s- a love relationship, like I'm, I'm practically married to it. And um, I, I know a lot of really in like Diego mainly not so much, but I know some other people who are really really knowledgeable in the way of heavy metal. Really always have their ear to the ground. People who are fanatic as I am. That's also. Play instruments, have been in bands like myself. People who, you know, hung out with musicians. Because yeah. I have, I've actually hung out. I, I've actually been Andrew and w- Andrew WK, you know, and that was a fun night. That was really cool.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Uh, in fact, next time if I have the time, I will front of me in front of a crowd.
0: There we go. That's a cliffhanger for episode four. Dave Mustaine makes fun of Hector. Yes. My first uh, heavy metal experience was. Uh, I'm not gonna give give the year. <laughs> Actually, I don't know. It's like 1983. So old. 1983. The projects in Manhattan, <laughs> Lower East Side. Yeah. Uh, Fifty Avenue D. Shout out to that project building. If this is still up. <laughs> um. My cousins, my older cousins, they bought uh, the Ozzy album because you know the, if you play Ozzy backwards, that you can summon the devil. Yeah. So you know, being by b- the way, it
1: works. I'm right here.
0: So we we just you know they decide hey if this is a chance to summon Satan so they they bought the album they played it backwards no Satan they <laughs> uh they were disappointed and they and they gave it to me They're like ah oh, this is such a waste of money and <laughs> from there that's where I that's the where I started with metal was with Ozzy
1: yeah
0: I mean my first you know my first CD that I ever bought a cassette I ever bought with my own money was uh well it was two of them you know I was able to raise twenty five bucks being an, ironic thing being Ulta Boy is to be Ulta Boy for for money back then. Like if you had like a big event and you had a church and you needed Ulta Boy, I was the fucking best. So <laughs> yes. they would pay like they'll pay Ulta Boys twenty five bucks to you know to do the to do the dirties for like big things. And with that money I was able to buy uh Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction and MC nice. Hammers. You can't touch this. Yes. Or whatever I don't even know that's two great album. albums by the way. I don't know if that's the name of the album, but that Hammers Hammers album so that lets you know, like, where my musical genre, you know, really goes. You know, it goes across the spectrum. Yeah. And a few days ago, during a uh, drunken karaoke, I confused the hell out of out of uh, Hector here when I started <laughs> singing some uh, Credence. Yeah. That. W- that. That. When did you become a redneck? <laughs> I took umbrage to that because you know, in a future in a future episode, I will explain how I accidentally joined the the Aryan Brotherhood. Yeah. Also in New Orleans, which I tell you, <laughs> t- me my, my relationship in New Orleans does not go well. It's just like. It, it's never a good time, and uh oh, here we go on the line. We we have our uh, we have our guest. So what I'm gonna do here is I'm gonna put up a quick break. We're listen to our interview here, and then we'll we'll return right after the interview. Bye. Right and, now. and on the line we have Mr. Charles.
2: I can't pronounce her last name. They're gonna have to say it for me.
3: Charlton. It's, it's like a it's like a British football club that that helps, but not.
2: If you don't know, if you're American, it's, uh, yeah, uh, Alright, right. Uh, it's, it's embarrassing the fact that you got my name right, and I got you, and I kind of butchered yours. It's very embarrassing. It's, no,
3: it's, that's
2: completely fine. Alright, so, Charles joins us live from Japan. He's from Japanese Audio Wrestling, which you can find at work. And I think it's safe to say, it is the number one English-speaking podcast about Japanese wrestling.
3: The first, the best, the only, no, but not the only, but uh, yeah, it's nice though. I I think like more has sort of uh, sprung up in our wake. Um, So uh, yeah, I think uh, we were amongst the first people to talk about Japanese wrestling in in a podcast format. So um, yeah, uh, I'm I'm not going to say it's the, the, the best. Right. Diego but um, I, I will take that if, if you if you want to reply
0: Yeah I'm I'm going to be
2: the one to I'm going to make that claim and I'm pretty sure everyone who's listened to your podcast and anyone who's listening to this one will agree
3: Sure yeah if your crossover is that you only listen to this podcast and my one then we are both the best in our respective fields
2: Sounds great Now now you live you live in Japan where specifically I live in Yokohama, which is um, in the, it's near the
3: sea, uh, it's about an hour outside of Tokyo, but know, a little bit less than that, about half an hour outside of Tokyo uh, on the train, um, so yeah, everything's very sort of, you have two concentrations of people, and it's either uh, on the sort of, uh, at, you know, wait, get my oceans right, like the Pacific Bay, <laughs> uh, where Yokohama is and all of that, or on the other side of that, in, in Kyoto and Osaka, those are like your two big population centers. And uh yeah, Yokohama and Tokyo kind of blend into one to a lot of people. But same hometown as uh, Antonio Inoki, so we have that connection. Well,
2: there you go. I reckon. I reckon you were not born in Japan. You were born in England, right? Yeah, I was I was born in Cambridge. I came here when I was
3: twenty one. Um so I'm coming up actually yeah, in a few weeks I'll hit like my ten year anniversary. Uh which is crazy to think of. Um and now I just yeah, I feel a little bit old. We all feel a little bit older every day. But uh yeah, it's it's crazy to think I've been here ten years now. Yeah, that's
2: that's that's crazy because I'm pretty sure like everyone listening to this podcast. And almost everyone that I know, like, at one point in time, you know, when you're either watching an anime or reading a manga or just watching Japanese wrestling, I think at one point, like, we all wonder, can I move there? Would I move there? You know, how awesome would it be to move over there? Like, we all have this expectation. And yet you've actually done it. Like, what sparked you to do that? Uh, It's it's an easy thing to do when you're, like, 21,
3: I think. Like, if I... Uh, If I was in the same position and, you know, with the same sort of adult emotional baggage and and other commitments and things, I couldn't move at at 31. um, Partly because I have no, I feel no emotional connection to uh, the UK really at all anymore. Um, But even if I did, I I would think like the prospects of moving back from here um, at my age would be absolutely terrifying. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I moved uh, moved here just out of finishing university and not having a job, the, the kind of feeling that, uh, you know, as, as a graduate in the UK, especially in the field that I was studying, it would be like sort of like unemployment or like soul-sucking work uh, in an office somewhere. And, I, you know, that didn't appeal to me. And it, it was just a thing of I was looking around for jobs. Um, and you know, you have these, these companies, um, the sort of English conversation schools and, and English schools, um, hire a lot of, of graduates. And, um, I thought, well, I'll go out for a year, you know, and see what it's like and, and at least get my, my traveling in. Um, and yeah, sort of went for one year, one year, turn to two, turn to three, turn to like 10, and turn to getting married, turned to buying a house, and having to never leave now, never leave, even if
2: I wanted to, I think. Oh, so you're like a full-blown adult now. You're, you're a full-blown adult now, right? With all this wife, kids, and... Uh,
3: it's, it's such <laughs> as it is, yeah. I, I don't... All of us, like, I, I heard, like, this, um... This this great line by some kind of ancient communion, I'm like, blanking on the name, that, um you know, everybody sort of reaches 11 and like a kind of a, 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 in, in our sort of back of our mind, everybody's kind of 11 and like never matures anymore after that. You know, I, I never feel now um, that I know what I'm doing. I, I think most people, most sort of full blown adults, quote unquote, don't know what they're doing. It's just that some people are better at faking it than other people. Um, it's, uh, yeah, such as it is, a grown, a grown ass man, so to speak. Yeah, so to, to,
2: uh, to, to, like, move there, you need, a, like, a visa, right? And in order to get a visa, you need to have, like, a, a college degree, is that right?
3: Um, you get, yeah, if you get a job, like, these sort of sponsors your, your visa, so, I mean, I, yeah, they, a lot of places ask for a degree, um, and it's, doesn't even have to be an English degree. I studied maths at university, and I barely passed. Like, it, it was sort of skin of my teeth, you know, because I, I just lost all passion for, for that sort of subject very early on. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, it, it was certainly as it was, like, 10 years ago, there, there weren't particularly strict requirements, because I think, like, the, the business sector that I was working in um, is... Fairly, there are some shady types that aren't particularly scrupulous with with who they hire. Hmm. Um, it's a very strange world, um, and like there, there are. I think like if you if you do sort of work at uh, the company, I it's like the chains of English language schools, like huge. I don't know like how it is in the states, or especially like in cosmopolitan areas like like New York, where you do have a lot of people. Um, kind of coming in that, that need to study English. And I think like in some areas, like in London, it's a, it's a similar thing. Um, but in Japan, it's, it's crazy because like the, the standard of English in general in Japan is, is quite low. Um, especially in the rest of, compared to the rest of Asia, it's, it's very poor. Um, so there has been like this sort of cottage industry sprang up, uh, to kind of service that need. Um, because it, it kind of got very, uh, you know, that you had like these, these corporations that would uh, wind up trying to spin a profit as much as possible. Um, so you had a lot of these, these companies that would hire graduates, hire very young, um, hire for very cheap, uh, relatively speaking. And, um, so it, it while well, there are very dedicated people in that industry, don't get me wrong, but there, there were also lots of people that are just there to, I'm going to travel to Japan. And, um, you know, similarly, I think from the student's perspective, you, you, I, whenever I was, I was working there, there was like a lot of people that, um, some people that really wanted to study English and a lot of people that were just like lonely, um, housewives. And things like that, and lonely people that would pay for like an hour to like converse. Um, it's a very strange job. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it, it was kind of, <laughs> it was kind of a, a unique experience. And it's funny, it's a good way to get here. Um, and then you kind of forge your, like, forge your own path afterwards. Oh,
2: that's good. I completely forgot my manners. Uh, we need you to plug your website, your your uh, your your Twitter, the book. Mm-hmm. We need to get that. Let's knock that out because you know who knows if these people, <laughs> you know,
3: we should uh, yeah, I should plug the shit first and then uh, come back to it at the end. Yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah I mean, why I'm really talking to you and then why you you spoke to us was uh because I'm currently running running an Indiegogo um for my book which is called Lions Pride uh that's having a history of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, so I as, as you sort of said at the top people might know me because of Japanese audio wrestling and um, I sort of parlayed whatever tiny niche that I have for that into writing a book about uh, the history of New Japan which is there's not uh, you know, as, as we saw there, there isn't much in the way of an English language sort of stuff, information podcast that's really sort of sprung up in the last two to three years and, and there's been uh, that's kind of exploded an awful lot, but there's there's very little in the way of writing and um, sort of information in that regard, especially about history. Um, that's kind of a thing that, that there's a big gap in that market that, that I chose to kind of fill because i track down track down a lot of this information. either like a lot of it isn't in English or the stuff that is in English is it's very disparate. like you have to do very deep googling in, in lots of different areas. Um, to find out what you know, to find out a piece of information. Uh, whereas if you compare it to what resources there are for the, uh, the major uh, Western promotions, um, then you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of a shame because New Japan has a very large influence on uh, pro wrestling in general, and today it's it's there's, a, there's an increasingly large market for it. Um, so yeah, I, I wrote this history. Uh, about New Japan it's, it's basically written now although I'm writing an extra couple of bonus chapters because the, the funding's gone well and uh, I'm seeking funds on the Indiegogo um, the the URL for that is idg.me slash at slash Book, or you can go to lionspridebook.com and uh, basically I'm funding uh, publishing production costs I'm self-publishing so I'm taking the hit on that um, so I need sort of money to get that initial print run done and uh sort of pay for image rights um because i don't know if you've ever if anyone's listening has ever tried to license imagery it's very very expensive um so uh, yeah it, it's basically all to do with that and uh getting that done and hopefully uh, getting a book to people's hands uh, by the end of the year
2: that's good i can't i can't wait to read it I, you know i am gonna use that word um mm-hmm. The question, question I have for you is: um, When did you did, were you a fan of New Japan before you moved to, to uh, Japan, or or did you become a fan once you were there?
3: Was um, yeah, I kind of was and I wasn't. Like I, I think, no, I think to a lot of people that were watching um, Japanese wrestling at the time, um, like you go back even 10, 15 years, it was so closeted and so hard to get hold of, and it was all in like tape trading. Show communities or whatever online um, and so that was how I had some exposure. really it was my brother that introduced me to it because um, when you know when I was sort of that sort of student age, um, my brother would always come around like every weekend and we'd watch some wrestling like he would always bring some wrestling tape with him and uh, you know it would range from anything that that was sort of the, the nascent ring of honor at the time, or, uh, you know, right through to, sort of, Capital Carnage and Cop and Sting, and, and you know, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. you know, some of those, uh, those are very, sort of, fond memories to me. One um, one that that he brought over was um, the Super J Cup, 94, which uh, is everybody, like, I think, to a certain age and certain degree of wrestling fan that is Japanese pro wrestling, it's, like, the... Many people, what pops many people's Japanese wrestling cherry is, is the Super J Cup 94. And, um, so yeah, I, I watched it then and I was kind of involved, but like not up to date with, with absolutely everything. And so, uh, yeah, when I came over here, of course, like, you know, I'm here now. I should watch the wrestling. And, um, you know, unfortunately when, when I am in Japan, it was pits of, the, pits of the dark period, uh, for them. To that, and
2: uh, see the the business uh, begin to turn around now. The, um, I I was good. That's exactly what I was going to ask. Nexus, does your book mm. cover the that that part of when it's like from the dark when it's like you know at the lowest of the low and to its current mm. resurgence? Like, the, the, does the book cover that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like uh, that's part of the reason why the, the subtitle is is the turbulent history of, of New Japan. Like, I, I kind of want to. Uh, established and I was kind of trying to be as open as I can about the fact that this isn't a product that's authorised or in any way associated with New Japan and that kind of gives um, some degree of, of editorial freedom and it means that, that, you, that you can't paper over the fact that the, the company was in absolutely dire straits Um and you know I mean you look I don't have the the numbers in front of uh, Bushiro who are uh, the company that uh, New, uh, New Japan uh if you look at how much money they they bought the company for back in uh, 2012 it was a ridiculously small amount um because the the business was was absolutely dire and there, there were several terrible decisions uh, mm-hmm. that they made over the course of, of that history and I think it was you know that that was a, a good sort of jumping off point. For the introduction to the book, and then it, it sort of set the scene. I think, like, Wrestle Kingdom, a lot of people came into Japanese wrestling because Wrestle Kingdom 9. A lot of people have jumped on this year because they, they were on interview. They do have a bigger international footprint now. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think, like, the, the easy thing to think of was that this was, uh, you know, if you were doing the the Western version of history, or perhaps the wwe version of um, it, would be like this this rags to riches tale of this very small company that could and look at what it became. The end. Um, and in actual fact, it, it's it's a wild sort of up and down for Japanese wrestling in general. But the the um, the business here started very very big, um, almost from the outset. It it sort of grew and contracted several times. And it was uh, a very sort of cyclical thing. And I think like now we're in the middle of like this this cycle. You know, the, the question is whether it is this as big as it's going to get uh, before it shrinks again. Um, or, you know, are we sort of about to crest to a new golden age? It's, it's difficult to say.
2: Yeah, I mean, personally speaking, I had a Brussels Kingdom party here. Which beats, yeah. which, you know, I had, like, I had 11 people show up, which beats my attendance mm-hmm. last year when I ordered Wrestle Kingdom 8. It was, the, mm-hmm. att- the attendance was just me. With your for Wrestle Kingdom 8, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, so, uh, uh, so, not, not a, nah, since New Japan seems to be uh, on the rise, is, do you think it's helping out, like, the other promotions also, or is it just this one company? Um...
3: I, th- I think, I think it, it is helping to an extent. Um, I think like you, if you have, if you look at the, the sort of B tier of, of promotions, I think like Dragon Gate kind of do their own thing and, and that's why they, they are able to do well. Um, but I think New Japan has, has helped, um, certainly awareness when it comes to DDT. They send their guys to, to DDT every year. And um I think like there there is a lot of overlap between those two promotions. Um obviously New Japan are doing what they can to bolster Noah at the moment, but uh you know whether that's gonna really help um it's hard to say. Um it is a difficult situation because I think when you look at the last the sort of last big golden age and in, in what we kind of refer to as the Tokyo Dome era of, of the early 90s, you had tons and tons and tons of wrestling promotions that were each able to uh, draw their own corner of the market. And now it's very similar to what it is in the States where you have New Japan and then everybody else. And the everybody else occasionally sort of get up there and run these these bigger shows. Um, but it is very definitely you have a, a market leader, and, and everybody else sort of really going for scraps at the moment.
2: Well, I can't believe it was the turn. It was, t- was t- two thousand twelve that they, uh she bought it. I thought it was a little bit er- like uh, much earlier. I like, like, turnaround They seems pretty fast.
3: It. I mean, it has been. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the Uux era, which sort of began in two thousand and six, um, they. Did a lot more than, than perhaps people give credit to um, in terms of cutting costs um, and doing away with certain things. I gave like it, it was under sort of Uke's command that uh, they sort of said, "No, you're not going to run the Tokyo Dome more than once a year," um, you know, and, and things like that. We're not going to throw stupid amounts of money at world players now, who you know. Yeah. Um, there were you know, they made a lot of decisions and I think like um Bushi then were a little bit more a little bit more financial muscle because they had it at the time uh behind promotion and uh branding and, and things like that and they, they've they helped to make it um a a cooler brand I guess um as well as cutting as costs again and um you know, kind of, it, it's this crazy thing. In two, in twenty eleven, uh, New Japan ran one hundred and fifty shows, um, one hundred and fifty live shows, which is a ridiculous number when you consider um, how many nights WWE, say WWE runs. I don't know what three hundred shows a year, close to three hundred. Um, but in in a market the size of North America, it's like. You know you can understand that in Japan is is geographically it's so much smaller, and yet in twenty eleven they were running one hundred and fifty shows, and uh, Bushi and Kidano, who's the owner of Bushi, um, they sort of cut that number down to one hundred and ten in twenty twelve, um, and it's now sort of started, uh Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's it's definitely they have managed to to turn things around a little
2: time. Right. Now we're we're uh, actually at the beginning of the G one climax.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Uh, are you are you a fan of this current format that they're doing with the uh, five five A block matches one night and five B block matches another another night?
3: Um. I think it's it's uh it's very different. Um. It, it's a different thing. Uh, you're never going to get like these, these massive, um, oh, hey, like the last couple of years, oh, you should definitely check out Night Two. It was the best wrestling show I've ever seen or or anything like that. Um, I think it's, it's a little bit more conservative in that regard. Um, and in theory, it's, it's going to help sort of concerns on the G1 already. Um, in Toriano who sliced his head open, uh, Nakamura, who has, we're recording that. this this. This, this big come out is out due to an outdoor injury. Um, so it, it's always a demanding tour that the plan is to make it slightly less demanding. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think it, it means you're gonna get less fewer standout shows uh, but it means hopefully as, as the tournament progresses we're gonna have uh, you know, better performances um, due to more confident talent I guess. Um, What we've seen, like Ibushi and Styles have standout performances, Shibata and Naito, Tanahashi as well. Um, So, yeah, it's it's hard to say. I I don't think we'll know until we're we're right at the end of the tour. Um, But uh, yeah, I kind of got mixed feelings at the moment because it is kind of like you can skip the first half of these shows and watch the second half without any trouble. Um, But in a way, that kind of makes for an easier watch in a sense
2: yeah i I think like the first five matches is, is more for the live crowd, so like you know like oh you know yeah like Tanahashi uh, tanahashi's gonna be it's gonna be in town, it's a six man but you know we still get to see tanahashi because uh, yeah. I because i pretty'm getting ready to watch you're getting ready to watch yesterday's show with the match mm, mm, mm,
3: mm. So, I mean, yeah that's, you, i mean that's that's definitely like a, a real highlight, and tanahashi Naito, like I'm really impressed with him sort of growing into his uh character. Um, and you know he's he's really sort of found his voice as a performer. Um, so yeah, i mean, look for a great tournament for from him for the for the rest of the uh, the
2: tournament. Yeah, my, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I'm actually for some reason like Naito and Yano are my favorites. I know everybody goes straight <laughs> to like Okada and Nakamura, but I don't know. I got a soft spot for both Naito and Yano.
3: Yeah, yeah, I like Yano. I think there's a place for him. He's standing
2: Yeah. So. Oh man, uh, you know, as mentioned earlier, I was in your podcast. Uh, I don't know which is going to air yeah. first. Probably, I think this is going to air first. So I'll be in the J- okay. Japanese audio wrestling podcast soon. Uh, I I only have one small regret from that podcast, that? and I wanted I I forgot I, I didn't think about it until after I hung up. I I wanted to put mm-hmm. over uh, Yoshihashi as much as possible, just to, <laughs> just to troll your your partner part
3: right yeah, yeah we, we, um yeah. Yoshi has, hasn't come up with like we're doing these uh, these backup podcasts right now for anybody who uh, contributes a hundred dollars into the uh, the Indiegogo, uh, you can have a guest spot uh, on our podcast. We're still recording those, um, so yeah. I mean, do chip in if you, if you want to be a part of that and uh, ask some questions. About Yoshi, Ashi. we've had uh, people ask about Tetsuya Naito's new look because uh, WH is, is very into uh, very invested in uh the sartorial critiques <laughs> yeah. of uh, different wrestlers. But uh yeah, it, it's it's good fun times and uh yeah, I mean thanks thanks again for contributing.
2: Yeah, no problem. Yeah, your partner's kinda like the Joan Rivers of uh Japanese of wrestling.
3: Professional wrestling. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, so yeah. I wish I wish I would have told him more. With, with pretending to feign yeah. over uh, Yoshihashi. Because yeah. Yeah. you're like, oh, pick a pick a song, and after uh, after I said Goda, which it
3: isn't. That is my favorite uh, song. It, it, right, right. You should have had Yoshi. His music is terrible. Like Yoshihashi is very undeserved. Yeah, yeah. Like um, <laughs> uh, do you have
2: any other podcasts or? Or do
3: Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna to have to switch it off. So, uh, I should get my stuff in. But I, uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, actually, if you're not, if you're more into your video games than you're pro wrestling, I, I, KaijuPop.com, and there's kind of lots more. Kind of focus on I video gaming uh, as well as retro stuff as well. So you, you can have written there. We also have a podcast. Uh, it's called the the Kaiju Podcast. Um, but yeah, even you know, apart from that. Uh, Japanese audio wrestling is is every month on the live audio wrestling uh, podcast network uh, on The Law. Um, we're around an awful lot because uh, John Pollock of The Law is, is doing a daily podcast, uh, going over every single show of the T1. And uh, me and WH will, will drop into those every so often. There's like the back podcast going up. And as I said, I'd like to urge people to check out com and contribute to the Indiegogo. All
2: right. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, please, con- please visit his website, download his podcasts, and contribute. Contribute, because so far, from what I've seen, it's going to be an awesome book. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, listen okay. to the guy. He sounds very educated, and you know, educated. Yeah. Very good at faking it. <laughs> uh, yeah.
3: So, thanks so much for your time.
2: All right. Thank you, and okay. we're going go to a break.
3: Sorry, like, um, I just got to like, send my,
0: uh, my kid off today. Before we continue, let's do a quick callback to last week. Remember when we were talking about all this bachelor party versus bachelorette party stuff?
1: Bachelor versus bachelorette.
0: Yeah, remember we were talking about that? Yeah. So I'm at a bar hanging out with our boy, uh, the Dominican kid. And, um, that's his name, the Dominican kid. Because he, he, cause they all look the same to him. Yeah, because they all look the same to me. And, you know, I see a, a chick with a tiara and a sash... And first,
1: for once, it wasn't me.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was kind of, first I was like, oh, shit, that Hector? But like, no, no, it's not. It's a bachelorette. So I I, I did the whole routine in front of her, like, oh, you know, bachelorette parties are like this. You ladies wear the crowns, and you have the sashes, and penises. Everywhere! Penises everywhere. So
1: much penis. It's just basically a plastic forest of
0: peni. Peni. And then I go, well, male bachelorette. I I calmed it down a little bit because I don't want her to get too paranoid, but I was just like, Well the men are in the back and their bachelor parties, they're all calm and relaxed, rather than saying shitting their pants. Because, you know. I don't want her, you know, to feel bad or nothing. So, you know, she 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 chuckled, whatever. You know, you know, they she went on her merry way, and then later, like, you know, like half hour later, the Dominican kids were like, Yo, that blonde chick's checking you out and I turn around and it was the Bachelorette. Nice. And she was she was she was contemplating just like this is my last night as a single woman. It's gonna be him. And this
1: is happening.
0: But because I'm a man of morals, unfortunately, <coughs> I was just like oh, no. him. Him. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, got a little uh, bullshit stuck in my throat. Got a little beer stuck in your throat. How dare you guys? How <laughs> dare you guys? All right. So let's, that's that's that quick callback from last week. Now let's do a callback from two weeks ago, at oh, our shit. very first episode. Uh, you know, Hector and I. In case you guys don't notice, we kind of have a few uh, beers and whatever while we're while we're recording this. And you know, we're working. We're a work in progress. You Plus know all the heroin I do? But you know, that's her, Hector. I can uh, So um. So you know, we're a work in progress, and I don't know why. I, like you know, we're talking about the LARP, live action role playing. I don't know why I kept that a secret. We we do a Harry Potter LARP. Actually, I do know why we kept a secret. Because it's it's, we do it naked. No, you do your character. <laughs> thinks thinks being nude is a cloak of invisibility. <laughs> is that Harry Potter?
1: <laughs> I do <know> so. <laughs> all
0: right, because, uh, yeah, the thing is I was, I was embarrassed, not because of the content, but because of the fact that, you know, we're in a Harry Potter LARP, and I, I know literally, in Lex- I just know there's a character in it named Harry Potter. That's it. That's all I know.
1: I do recall that you went to me every time, like why do what I do, what why do what I was like? I don't know. I'm my own
0: character. Oh, by the way, that's uh that's Monkey Boy. He's our audio engineer. For that today. ain't
1: no boy, baby. That's the Monkey Man. Give oh. it to us. Anybody who thinks Stephen Dorff is a is
0: a very good actor should really drown themselves in sand.
1: Also, excellent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <I> <laughs> that was random as, f- as fuck. <laughs> so yeah, so so yeah, man. so yeah, so let's call. Let's finish that callback. Yeah, it's a Harry Potter <laughs> LARP. We will be participating in Potter Con, PotterCon August first in New York. I don't know if this episode will be up by then. Uh,
1: just quick side note: uh, just uh, if you're going to PotterCon, it has nothing to do with ma- marijuana or um uh, ferns. There is no potting of any kind. Just so there's no confusion.
0: Yeah, that's actually in uh, Bushwick. When I don't even know where PotterCon is, but guess Google it. Goddamn it! All right, triple callback from the first episode. <laughs> like I I remember the, we're like I was trying to explain a story about how these two girls were were were, were playing were role playing online like they're like one was like a dungeon master and the other one was a warrior or some shit and so they're text- wait wait
1: wait was this a LARP or your Friday night?
0: Nah, these are two females. I <laughs> wish I wish I was involved. But uh,
1: I'm about to give you about five hit points for
0: experience. Goddammit. Oh yeah, you just rolled a dud. <laughs> So, you know, <laughs> well, so anyway, so these two girls, they're playing, they're, they're, they're using Facebook to do their role-playing. One's a dungeon master and one's a warrior, and one, you know, male barbarian, and somehow the two characters end up having sex, and that's what I meant to say, where their they, role-playing online of, you know, Dungeons & Dragons turns into two females having cyber sex, pretending to be two men, and that's the part of homoeroticism we were talking, we're, you know, that confuses us, as this confusing monkey boy, uh, monkey hi. man. I've, you lost me as cybersex. <laughs> all right. Just,
1: after all of that, I just completely blanked out. And see, please go on. <laughs> this is really much intriguing to me now. I yeah. Did not know Harry Potter dealt with all of this. Yeah, monkey. I didn't know there was a griffin involved. Yeah, Mon- <laughs> I just want to say I, I don't want to say that I'm old or anything, but the first time I had cybersex, there was two. Uh, we were using Morse code. I'm just saying that. <laughs> it was crazy.
0: <laughs> I, I just got off of the sound of dial-up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, say it, baby. You got. Control off the lead. Control alt the lead. Oh god.
0: Oh. So yeah, if we could, uh, one more time, a, a, a quadruple callback to the first episode about women loving gay shit. <laughs> So, so I'm at a bar, right? You know, I'm supposed to be working, but I totally gave two shits. And I just kept drinking pitcher and pitcher after beer. And I'm trying to hit on the, this really hot bartender gal. And this really incredibly handsome man sits next to me. And she's like... I like
1: where this is going.
0: <laughs> and she's all like, that's my boyfriend. And I'm just like, uh-huh. Like, you know, my gaydar clocked him immediately. But, you know, I don't fucking care. Whatever. But when she said he's my boyfriend, that was that was code for... I'm not interested. So I was like, I was like whatever. So, so the handsome, incredibly handsome guy is talking to me. And, By the you know, way, that
1: was me. No, I'm just joking.
0: I didn't even learn his name. But he, he bought me a pitcher of beer, so he's cooling my book. So he's, you know, he's, he's, he's hitting on me. <laughs> I'm hitting on the girl. And she's hitting on him. And it was like an endless cycle of failure for the whole <laughs> night. I, you know, but I, I, you know, I had like... Sounds like
1: an episode of Twilight Zone. It was a
0: cycle, it was a cycle just some of... some horrible
1: plot twist at the end. Like, she's hitting on me, I'm hitting her. There's... And then you're like just there for all eternity
0: hitting on each other. What is this, an alcoholic speed dating? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much what it was, man. And I remember, you know, at one point I'm drunk as fuck and... He goes to me. He's like, so are you gay? And I'm like, no, nah, brother. I was like, no... Nah. I uh, mean, I'm like, I love homosexual men. I think you guys do me a great service, cause you know, the better looking you are, the you know, the less competition for me. So <laughs> keep keep rounding up all the handsome men, keep taking them on. <laughs> fucking love you guys, <laughs> but you know, and I'm like, unfortunately, I'm not gay. I love women. I'm sexually attracted to women. I'm sorry, but I was just born this way. <laughs> it was like the weirdest because that wasn't, wasn't a choice. I, it was not a choice, and he was confused as fuck because I'm like trying to explain. It's like a reverse coming out of the closet, you know? <laughs> just like don't, don't hate me, mom and dad. I'm straight. <laughs> I love vaginas. You know the women.
1: I want to tell you a story about uh, one gay guy hitting on me that I think was pretty funny. If I, if I can impart this uh, story. Um, I one time was at this uh, bar in uh, the village in Manhattan. Stairs, big shout out to stairs. <laughs> and um, you know it's a gay bar. I'm not. I myself am not gay, but I go there cause I get free drinks. Fuck it. So I go there, and I'm just chilling, drinking my my vodka tonic at the edge. And this like little it's t- the
0: gayest drink on the menu.
1: I, <clears throat> hells yeah. Anyway, so like this tiny little white dude. No bigger than me, and I'm small, and, like, he comes up. He, he sees me from about a good eight feet away, and he focuses on me. He, like, zeroes in on me, and I can tell, like, he was burning a hole through my head. So he, like, saunters, like, you know, he's, like, doing, like, this sway. Like, he's trying to seduce me from a distance. You know, he's, like, trying. Like
0: a lady from Mars Attack.
1: Exactly. So he gets really close. To it, and, and then he starts talking. This one shit gets crazy. She said, so, uh, you seem so sad. What? And it turns out Dude had was British. And I was like, whoa, not only am I getting hit on by a gay guy, I'm getting hit on by a really classy gay guy. So that's like, wow. So he's like, you seem so depressed. What's wrong with you? And he's trying to form a conversation. Now, like I said, I didn't want to just I'll not say, hey, I'm not gay. So my tactic is to be as uninteresting as possible, which I'm very good at, by the way. And he's like, so what's your name? I'm... Like Hector. Oh, so what you doing? What's 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 you? Nothing, drinking. Eventually, like a fifteen minutes of this, he just bails out. He's done. He has nothing else to say. He didn't even say goodbye. Just turned around and left. And that and that was a very funny story. You know that that made me laugh when I think about it.
0: Actually, I have a pretty funny story. No one cares. We're gonna. It actually involves Monkey Man.
1: Monkey Man. The hell did I do this time? Every time we point at you, you gotta do to make the monkey sound. <laughs> That's right.
0: So, alright, so we're gonna f- end this episode with the story of Monkey Man. We're at we're that we're at our favorite uh, dive bar in the city called Spanky and Darlas.
1: Oh yes. Look it up. Oh, Woo! Yes. Shout out to Spanky and Darlas.
0: So this is after our night. This is literally a calming down spot where, you know, like alright, end of the night, let's f- have, have some beers and whatever. And uh Hector and I we're, we're you know We're pretty drunk But we're you know We're whatever Monkey man here He is for some reason He is done D-U-N done
1: Yeah I kinda had a wild night That time Yeah I really don't know What the hell I was drinking beforehand I'm Pretty sure these two guys <laughs> I will call them guys At this point <laughs> Could well, you I, don't know Whether you're What gender you're dealing with You know you're fucked up At that point I was like These two guys <laughs> Talk about need, us Need to take me home <laughs>
0: Otherwise, I might as well go on the street and, and just and say,
1: and "Hallelujah, the time is
0: now <laughs> he was she was just done, so we have a friend his name is uh Tommy. Tommy's a uh, you know a little twink that's slang for like really tiny gay guy mm-hmm. and you know he's cool he's he's our boy, whatever, but he's being hit on by this giant big six foot five all right, six foot five three hundred fifty pound black guy, and we'll let uh Hector uh continue.
1: So, from my account, this is exactly what I saw. Uh, You know, Diego and, and Monkey Man were kind of distracted, but I was, even though I was pretty inebriated, I could see everything. So, like, this is big black dude with, like, a gap in his teeth, and he's really aggressive. And he's hitting on the twink, and he's hitting on, ironically, the lesbian bartender. So he's like, so she's like, no, no, I'm not into men. And he's like, all you need is the right man. So next he starts taking his money out of his pocket, and then he starts, like, just slamming it on the table, like, bam, bam, bam. That was a good chunk of change on the table. I couldn't exactly count how much. I thought it was, like, 250 possibly more.
0: No, no, it was, it was, it was in the thousands.
1: Yeah, well, I, like I said, I was pretty smashed. But I was looking at this guy and he's like, you know, then he puts all of his money down and he starts like looking at the TV and watching the sports like, let's go, let's go. I doubt that he knew what he was p- clapping for. It was pretty fucked up. Yeah. So the three of us decided uh, we're going to drink uh, Fireball, which is basically oh, no. cinnamon whiskey. Oh, no. I had never tried Fireball before then. Um, neither had Monkey Man. Ah! Diego <laughs> Diego's pretty well uh, versed in the whole thing. So like he bought, we got some shots. Diego takes a shot, no problem. I take my shot, I'm like, but I pull it back in, you know? Next thing, Monkey Man takes a shot, and then he proceeds to vomit all over the man's money. So, Josh, I mean, Monkey Man, shit, edited that out. (laughs) So, Monkey Man vomits over over a thousand dollars on of the table puking all over it and I mean it wasn't even a little bit I mean this guy hosed the damn stuff and the guy is so sauced and so focused he didn't even notice that all this money all his money was fucking covered in puke and I'm just there silent and in- Absolute shock. I was, I had literally nothing to say. Diego and I was ready to fight him though. And and like, so, like, I'm wondering what to say. Like, I'm trying to piece this entire like mayhem back together in my mind. But before I could say anything, the guy begins to put the money back in his pocket, unaware it's covered in mucus and vomit and whatever. Monkey Man had for lunch that day. And so he put the whole contents, the all the cash back in his pocket. I don't know if he ever realized it, but I'd like to think that he woke up in the morning and started like, yo, why is my pocket all wet and crusty? And that's what
0: happened. Right, then. So let me, I, we gotta, I gotta rewind a f- uh, few minutes before. So the, the guy, like I said, the guy's huge. Tommy's a twink. And he's all like... What do you want, brother? Like, to Tommy. Tommy's like, oh, no, leave me alone, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I put my arm on Tommy's shoulder. I'm like, you okay, brother? You know, like, that's my way of like, trying to be like, I got your back. And Tommy's like, oh, my phone's not working. Can I borrow yours? I got to call my mom. So I give him my phone, and Tommy just leaves me with this big, scary black guy. And now the big, scary black guy's eyeing me down. He's like, what you want? And I'm just like, I pick up my pitcher of beer. I'm like, I want to finish my pitcher of beer. <laughs> and he's all like, no, we all want something. I'm like, and I'm all like, you're right. I want some shots of fireball. And that's when he starts taking out the money. He's like, we all got a price. I'm like, that's cool. Fireballs. So that's, so while while we take the shots and Josh is vomiting, the reason why the the guy, Monkey Man, was vomiting, broke, broke kayfabe, uh, is, and the reason why he didn't notice that all this vomit was on the was on his money was because he was eyeing me down, like he didn't know if he wanted to fight me or if he wanted to fuck me. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, certainly, I got
1: there first. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, by the way he was looking, I think he was doing thinking of doing both.
0: Yeah, that's not saying he wanted to first fight and then fuck. And <laughs> on that note, we're gonna finish. We're gonna lock down this episode. Jo- right. Join us next week as we're gonna discuss uh, Hector's adventures with both Andrew WK yeah. and David Mustaine.
1: Yeah. Also, uh we got more monkey man stories. I got loads of them and they're all awesome. So stay tuned. Uh, <laughs>
3: insert
0: insert going away catchphrase now.